Hey there, welcome to A Tale and 29, a podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. Uh, my name is Kevin Chenard. I'm here with Glenn Willis. We're recording on a Monday night after the Heat and Lakers won. Uh, I guess if 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 we're treating Atlanta as the starting point, uh, maybe we should start there with with Trey Young as a podcaster. Uh, other other than don't work with that big meanie Kevin Chenard, uh, what what advice would you have for Trey as a podcaster as he branches out into new ventures? Yeah, just uh, try to be different. You know, be yourself. Um, but I I feel like it, as players, it's hard. I don't. I don't know. Tell me what you think. Um, you you work like I don't actually work in NBA media, right? You you are at least at least have one foot, if not two feet, in those circles. I think it's hard for players to be able to say, you know, they're uh, like whatever's on their mind, so whatever feelings they have to articulate them, uh, because you know their brand, the team they work for, has a brand. On and on and on, right? Now, some players. There's a handful of players in the league that just don't care about that stuff. Maybe, you know, um, but that's not what I can't imagine. That's what Trey is going to be. So it'll be interesting to see how he approaches making it interesting, um, you know, and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, good luck. Good luck to him. Um, but I, I always when I hear about a player starting a podcast, I'm like, what's going to make me want to listen to that if they're going to be kind of contained by you know, the kinds of messages that are safe, you know, which, which is smart to do. I'm, I'm not criticizing that as um, kind of being the approach that's, well, you know, um, uh, smart to take, you know, but but that, that that doesn't always kind of create compelling content to me. What, what, what do you expect? Yeah, I think you've, you've hit on all the pitfalls. I think the one thing that Trey has going for him is that he's, Honestly, like he's true to the game. That sounds like a corny, like team slogan or something, but he just Hashtag. loves basketball yeah. to the point that even if he's sort of fraternal with all these other participants that are out there with him, I don't think he's going to be completely afraid to sort of say what he feels just because he actually sort of cherishes that abstract exercise of playing basketball as much as he does. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I think if he sort of goes with that a little bit, you yeah. know, I, I think he can be edgy enough maybe to be interesting. We'll we'll see. Yeah, I think the the other interesting dynamic for Trey is and I want to be careful how I say this because I don't I, I I I'm I'm complimenting him. So he came to league age 19, right? Just an a, a massive basketball set of basketball smarts. Uh just I mean uh so many levels to the way he thinks the game the way he reads the game, decisions he makes, and all that sort of stuff, right? And but at 19, understandably, his vocabulary kind of wasn't in a place to convey all of that, right? And so I, I think we've I think as we've seen him through 19, 20, 21, 22, um, you know, I I think he I think the vocabulary he needs to convey all of this brilliance all this genius has had to kind of grow as he's grown up. Right. And so interesting to me to kind of think about is he at a point where the vocabulary, you know, when I was 19, I couldn't articulate the things that I can now, you know, and so it's a very natural kind of thing to come along, but he was a, um, you know, a, a genius at a, at a young age. He's a prodigy basically. And for that kind of adult vocabulary to show up, that maturing vocabulary to show up, 
it'd be interesting to see like as if he does this for a while if that kind of if this project helps that come along and helps him become um increasingly capable of kind of putting words to all that genius you know, basketball genius that he has so i'm looking forward to kind of seeing how that plays out and he's he's got like he's got like a he picks his spots it's not like an everyday thing but he's he's got like this sort of self-deprecating sense of humor where he can kind of yep. be the everyman you know he's only six feet like a half inch tall like he he gets it he knows what he's up against and he's he's not willing to sort of poke fun at himself a little bit and i think i think that plays in his favor too so we'll see yeah uh third third uh member here tonight uh, at blog hawk our friend wes Wes, uh, any any expectations you have for Trey's project that we haven't hit on there? Trey's project, uh, hadn't really looked too much into it other than the link <laughs> I got dropped into. Yeah. But I mean, he's, I think piggyback on some of some of what you said is trying to navigate the world. I mean, as a as a star athlete, where, um. You know, the first few few years in the league, you're just trying to sort of make a name for yourself and, and all that. But, you know, guys, a lot of guys around the NBA, are they're starting podcasts. They're starting all sorts of endeavors on the side, trying to get their voice out there. Um, it's an easy way to reach the fans, more direct than, yep. um, you know, about as direct as, as you can get. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm for it. I'm not like. It's kind of funny. I'm on this podcast, but I'm not like a podcast guy. I don't listen to a ton of podcasts, to be, to be quite honest. You know, the occasional basketball, national basketball podcast, and of course you guys, and the esteemed Brad Roland. <laughs> oh, locked on that. That, that uh, was that was like Trey. Of course, you guys. That, that, I mean, that's where you know that that was professional, Wes. Um, yeah, yeah. So um, you, you like a politician once you do this enough. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, let's um uh, and, and one more uh, other way to center uh the start of this podcast around Trey is he's still second in fourth quarter scoring in the playoffs. He's only he's only two ahead of Jokic. So I have to imagine the next game in that series tomorrow that, that he won't hold that territory for too long. But that's quite an accomplishment. Lonnie yeah, Walker's closing in fast though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, play play more games. We'll we'll do that too. And it, and it, it, it the thing that remind the thing that jumps out at me statistically about the run the Hawks had two years ago is that and I don't know if this, this is still well known, but you know who was fourth in the playoffs, fourth in the postseason in block shots that, during that playoffs. Was that Trey Young? Kevin Hurt. Was... Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I remember it being one of the guards. I do remember that. Yeah. 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 So anyway, uh, yeah, it's just kind of funny how the statistical oddities that you have. Um, yeah, can, can we can we talk Warriors Lakers now? Can can we just before we leave? Uh, yeah. uh, before we leave the topic of the Hawks, uh, I wanted to cover any Hawks news, and really, I've only got one bit, which is sort of the the Zach Klein reporting that Quinn Snyder uh, oh, yeah. was cleaning out his assistant coaching ranks. And then Michael Scotto today saying that there were a bunch of candidates, including Brian Bailey, Alex Jensen, Igor Kokoshkov, and Antonio Lang, who I think was a former Snyder teammate at some point way back in the day. So he's also on the Jazz staff until he moved to Cleveland. I think it was the last last year. I think he moved to Cleveland. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think all the guys Scotto mentioned, he he either coached, he either had as assistant coaches or or coached directly. 
Dale. It's just kind of like or both. Yep. Connecting dots there. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. some of those guys may have been kind of around for some parts of the last bit of time, but um, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I I I don't know if I don't know if, I don't know if they'll wait until the whole playoffs are over to um see what happens. I, I I I there there's a bit of a market seizure I think when head coaching positions are open because you kind of wait, almost wait for those positions to fill up. Because honestly these experienced coaches are want to know can I be a lead assistant for a new head coach in Toronto or in Milwaukee or you know whatever. And so it's kind of like the head coaching market like when Bud went to Milwaukee, everyone was waiting on New York to hire because New York was, you know, de- viewed as, you know, Fistel got that job at the time. But every the whole market was waiting on who New York gets, then the other teams kind of could kind of move on the market at that point in time. To to a less visible degree, uh, the the assistant coaching market kind of works the same way. They're going to let the head coaching kind of positions fill up, see what lead position, lead assistant positions are available. Those gets filled up, and then kind of things flow from there. So I, I imagine it'll take a few few weeks from here to. Or from the even the end of you know most of the playoffs to kind of see some of that stuff start to shape up. Who knows? And and Mike Bray is you know reportedly already on the staff. So right is, is he One. the lead assistant? Like or is he just sort of the old head assistant or both? Or like how does that, what are we expecting there? I I mean I'll, I'll be surprised if Alex Jensen isn't is the lead assistant coming into next season. You let me. I didn't make sure I heard you right. You said you would be surprised if Alex Jensen is not the lead assistant. Correct. Meaning that you think he will be hired and he will be the top assistant. Uh, that's what I expect. Got it. okay. Okay. Yeah, but we'll see. I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Any my, thoughts on the coaching I, I, setup, I, Wes? Sorry, I, I should I should be less bold about my predictions because my playoff predictions are. <laughs> if I'm batting five hundred, I'm going to feel. I, I don't want to check in case I'm below you know fifty percent right now. So it's been a tough one to predict. So yeah, yeah. Where, where do you I want to start, the, Wes? Like, oh, sorry. Do you want to pick a uh, playoff series, or do you, or are you still going on coaches? I was just gonna say with Bray. I, I don't know if I've ever seen a trajectory like his. You go from being a his assistant um, at Duke for I think four years. Um, four or five years at Delaware and then 23 years at Notre Dame. So this this deep into his kind of career coaching college basketball to to pivot and go to the NBA is not something I've ever heard of. I'm sure it sort of happens occasionally, but usually you'll see guys sort of jump to the NBA. Maybe they're, you know, Tino or Coach Calipari and then head back to college. But this this late is... Bellini, Bellini, those types, right? Right, so... Interesting. Lon Kruger. Okay, yeah, that's so I forgot about yeah, Lon Kruger, one. of course. Yeah, that's before your time was. <laughs> yeah, I only have so I only go back so far. <laughs> I, I might have been your age when Lon Kruger was coaching the Hawks. You're close to it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. What are your thoughts on the second round, Wes? Any, it seems like everybody's had a, a good game recently except for the Knicks, so uh... – we're, we're, you know, we've we've had a drama filled weekend. Plus, where do you want to start? Yeah, yeah, it's been definitely a lot of drama in all, all the games. I mean, um, yesterday, I mean, I, th- I think we have to start with uh, the uh, the Jokic entanglement <laughs> with Suns owner Matt Ishbia. 
it's kind of funny. I, I I never thought they would suspend him. So, you know, I think it was kind of a lot of ado about nothing. And, you know, HBO end, ends up coming out with the statement saying, I don't, I don't like to see, I don't anticipate seeing, you know, Jokic suspended. He ended up getting fined for, for his actions. So it's definitely an odd, I mean, what are the chances that, a random loose ball ends up in the hands of the <laughs> opposing team's owner. And they'd already showed him like, uh, felt like a hundred times on camera before that happened. And I felt like they were painting him like after every third possession. Or like <laughs> but, right. I, you know, I saw the tweet from Isby today and I was like, that is the exact opposite of what Mark Cuban would have. <laughs> Mark Cuban would have gone on every platform and tried to get Jokic suspended for game five. Right? Huh. Am I, you am need to kick him out of the league for this behavior. His, his tweet, though, was like down low, just like dirty logic, though. He's like, no one should be fined or suspended because what Jokic did wasn't wrong. And it's like, You've said two different things. Like, no one should be no one should be penalized whatsoever because Jokic didn't do anything right. It's like he absolved himself in the tweet on the down low because he was certainly you know he contributed. He's like, yeah, you can't have the ball quite yet, and it's kind of smacked it away. Uh, he definitely kind of gave himself a, a a furlough on that one. Yeah, yeah, I'm just proud of Hawks fans because I didn't see a single tweet about. That's as bad as what DeJounte did. And I was so yeah. glad that I, I didn't see <laughs> I was expecting that as well. I didn't see any of that. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, that that series, like, so I, I picked the Suns to win that series. I I keep underestimating the Nuggets. I have to admit that. I thought they would finish seventh in the West in the regular season. I didn't like uh, their losing Monte Morris. I'd go on and on and on and on. But, I mean, the level, and that reminds me, like, edit edit in. At the core of his being, Mike Malone is a defensive coach. And that's what's so funny about him being paired with Jokic as he's been emerging as an offensive superstar. And a lot of I mean, younger fans don't know him. Mike Malone's father was a lead assistant on the Detroit, Detroit Pistons Bad Boys, you know, club. So there, there's that pedigree and kind of maybe that DNA that's coming along there. But but Malone coaching up this defense and, yeah, getting Aaron Gordon helps, getting Bruce Brown helps, getting Catavius Cole helps, getting – you know, Jeff Green helps, you know, around all that sort of stuff. Um, but I'm just, I'm just so impressed with that. Now, if, if Devin Booker keeps shooting 80% in every single game, it's still, you know, that's about the only kind of performance on the Phoenix side. It gives you a chance to kind of match all of this Jokic's brilliance. It feels like he's like scoring 48 and 15 in like every, you know, every game and stuff. But I mean, it's like Phoenix keeps chipping away at what Denver is throwing at them, you know, from the Denver defense throwing at the Phoenix office to keep chipping away and chipping away and chipping away at that, pushing the ball at every opportunity, um, you know, pushing the pace as well as they can. And then they're, they're running Devin Booker middle pick and roll with Katie on the right three point break and creating that no tag from the corner with the big man rolling to the and everything is kind of flowing from there. And and Denver's having a hard time covering that. They want Jokic way up, helping that level of screen, maybe one step below the level of screen. But until Denver can kind of learn how to contain that primary set that Phoenix is running, it's like now, you know, it's okay, Denver, this is your adjustment to make. Can you do something with that action? Because so far, game three and four, they haven't been able to kind of do anything with that action. And Jokic is being brilliant on his end and stuff like that. And Monty is 
limiting, you know, Aiton's play in certain spots. And, you know, Aiton kind of came with better effort, I thought, in game four. But to me, to me, the the adjustment, the next adjustment has to come from Denver and how they contain that middle pick and roll from with Booker that they're that they're running there. So I, I can't wait to see what happens in the next game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the Jokic thing, I, I think you you brought it brought up a little. I mean I'm I'm really interested in what's going on, on the other side, like with, with Jokic. I didn't expect one Phoenix to to kind of leave him on an island. You know, they leave, leave like Aiton on an island, Jokic, um, even Jock Landale at times. But even when they get switches, they'll 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 get switches for Jokic. He's on someone else. They're not sending any help. They're saying you know, we want to we want to cover all the softball action Denver has going on, and you know, if Jokic takes advantage of the mismatch, and he does, and he has, and he scored what fifty one points last night. You know, he gets the knock that he's not aggressive, or um, some of that kind of plays into like, you know, what what you picture out of a you know big European big man. But you know, he was. It, it's almost a shame that. Uh, he didn't get the win because he played played brilliantly. Like I said, kind of pushed the pace, and you know how he does the the kind of fast break, push the pace there. But um, was willing to to show, get to the free throw line, take advantage of mismatches, knowing that Phoenix wasn't sending help, and you know continually being aggressive and basically carried them in because they didn't they 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 got a you know subpar game from Porter Jr. Um, not a great one from. Uh, Murray. So, um, I think that the crazy thing is, I think Denver probably feels like they they probably should have won that game. But like you said, you know, Booker's Booker went nuclear. Um, I think I saw a stat where his his true shooting for the first nine games of a playoffs over over a certain amount of shots is the best in playoff history. The first nine games of of a player's I think it was seventy percent true shooting, something along those lines. Since yeah, crazy, best in <laughs> NBA history. He was just incredible, like you said, with the the kind of slot pick and rolls they're running. Yeah. He's been able to just either take it, get to the free throw line, and pull up, or, or step back, um, use screens. I think think Phoenix has been screened very well for him, and like I, you know, I always saw us always. We always, at least I always, kind of saw Booker as a the high level offensive player. Uh, when the Suns went to the finals two years ago, there's a lot of talk about him. You know, he's he's not really a top ten player, but he's kind of oh. still led them. One of my postseason. Yeah. One of my one of my favorite yeah. players to watch, or just one of my favorite players to watch. Um, Ke- Kevin, yeah, with CP down, Booker's on the offense. It's going better for Phoenix. Do we can what kind of how much? Connecting of the dots do we do there? Uh I mean I, I think that's a, a fair question to ask. Uh I mean my my you you labeled what they're doing on offense and you know my takeaway when you watch it happen is just how uh, unselfish isn't the right word, but just how moldable Kevin Durant is to sort of any yeah. role. Like he's just playing off the ball. He's like, okay, what we're doing with Booker is working and I'm here if you need me. And it's just like every pass is the right pass and he just doesn't force stuff. 
And it's, you know, I don't, I don't know if refreshing is the right word, but it's just, it's, it's admirable how willing he is to make the right basketball play, no matter what it is. And even though the team isn't really playing through him and you still look up and he's got 30 points, like <laughs> it's just, and a it's lot just of kind of unfair to deal with all that yeah. for, for Denver. Yeah. And a lot of late shot clock work, like just, I mean, Oh, four seconds left, and he could just get to his shot, and he's confident, confident, and comfortable there. Um, it, it, and the the other aspect there, I think, the other kind of micro development that's really starting to show up is that Aaron Gordon is struggling, increasingly struggling to defend without fouling in the series. I think that has so much to do. He takes so much defensive workload that a center would normally kind of take. Um, and that's that really matters because there's no one else on that right. I mean, on offense, obviously, there's no one who can do what Jokic does, right? On off, on defense, there's no one that can come close to doing what Aaron Gordon does. You, you can't play any minutes with MPJ at the four. You know, Jeff Green can kind of give you second unit minutes in in small you know volume and those sorts of things. But man, that the fouling issues that are coming up there are just crippling. Uh, you know what Denver is trying to do on defense. That's something kind of kind of keep your eye on uh there as well um so yeah it's just uh Landry Shamit it was Landry <laughs> on Sunday it was Landry Shamit and Lonnie Walker took it to another level in the game today and it, to me it's always fun to see these guys that have been just kind of staying ready you know come out kind of kind of do their jumps that's been a fun aspect of, of those games too but that that series like when it was 2-0 I think a lot of people were like yeah and I, was, and I was like, man, I, I'm not feeling great about <laughs> my prediction of the Suns winning the series. I didn't know how resilient they would be, how they would do. They haven't been this this group hasn't been playing together for a very long time. You know, well, they pull together, and you know, but they they've done that in in games three and four. Denver's, I think Denver was the best home team in, in the regular season, so they got to go back and, and deal with that. But what a fun series! You maybe if we use this as a segue. Uh, what, how would you compare? Cause I, I saw you say something about this the other day. I don't know if it was on Twitter or Slack, whatever, but like, how would you compare what you're seeing from Jokic with what you're seeing from Embiid in the, in those two playoff series? Yeah. Yeah. It was in the Peachtree Hoops Slack. I, I was just, so MVP, I mean, Embiid had an awesome year. It was an MVP level year. No doubt about that. Um, and, and I think that, I think I probably would have voted for him at the end of the regular season for MVP, I, I just think he elevated his play a lot. Maybe that should or shouldn't matter. That's a different discussion or whatever. But but in the playoff context, it's just so obvious how much better Jokic is than Embiid. And, and maybe the more specific way to say this, more skilled, right? But, I mean, that pass Embiid made to Harden for the that what would be the game. What, he doesn't make that pass, not not just three years ago, not two. He doesn't make that pass next, like last year he doesn't make that pass. And the effort that Embiid has put into his playmaking is phenomenal. And he's still probably maybe half the playmaker <laughs> Jokic is. And, and that's not a criticism on anyone. Jokic is, I mean, a, an outlier of outliers of what he can kind of do with the ball at that position. But and, and so I don't mean it all to kind of be down on Embiid. I'm really doing want to highlight how unique Jokic is that in the playoff context, it's just, I think to me, it just kind of jumps out at you. Even even more, but I mean, in that first series against Brooklyn, Embiid didn't go chase his shots. He was selfless. You know, he he did what he could do as an offensive player. He drew the attention of the defense. And what's helping Philly right now is that was a short series. 
and that let them kind of get off their feet and stuff like that. So in in less obvious ways, I think Embiid is kind of finding a little bit of that as along the way, he found that selflessness too, uh, and it made it made a big difference. So, but yeah, I mean, Jokic is just different, you know. Embiid is awesome, phenomenal, great, but Jokic is just something, you know. I don't think we've ever seen. What Wes? What have you seen in the Boston Philadelphia series that strikes you fancy? Um, this this has been a very interesting series. I mean, um, I, honestly, I think the Celtics. The crazy thing about the Celtics series is, I think they are running into the same thing that they ran against to against the Hawks. Um, against the Sixers, there's. I mean, I, I don't think there's. You know, there's definitely a gap between the Celtics and the Sixers, but I I think people would say put them pretty comfortably, you know, a tier above that. And, you know, the Hawks were at least a tier below Philadelphia. But um just seems like the Celtics, I think Marcus Smart made a comment that after, I think, I guess it was game four, uh, which was yesterday, that Joe Mazzulla doesn't, call a ton of offensive plays he says their offense is very quote random like he he said that a lot of their offense is very read and react um you know they they like to spread you out and and run a lot of picks around the, the perimeter but i think a lot of their a lot of their offense is predicated on jalen brown and jason tatum getting downhill and making things happen and um they they typically start out the game doing that and um towards towards the Second half, um, for whatever reason, they they struggle to try to score. They they go cold a little bit. Um, I think they actually. I think the, in the game yesterday, they actually had to come back quite a bit. I think it was actually they had a pretty good fourth quarter, but um, they, their offense is just it just seems like it runs very hot and cold, um, and it seems like they 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 don't have a lot of sort of slump busters in their offense you know a lot of teams will have some pet plays they'll have some certain ATOs some pet plays to try to get get going with the Celtics because they like to do a lot of read and react stuff is when they when they have trouble you know getting downhill and and kicking out the guys or or trouble you know um, hitting some threes they they just they kind of don't have a lot to to get out of that slump so I think there's yeah go ahead yeah, it's a, that's such a good point. It's, it's such a salient point to make about the way they run their offense. So last year under Doka, when they got stuck, they always went to a set called wide double, right? So imagine a guard on the left side of the floor near half court, a big man near the top of the key, a guard on the opposite side, the big screens for the guard away from the ball. The guard comes to the first screen, the big man follows to the second screen. Big man off the screen dives. The other guard goes to the weak side. It puts a ton of stress covering the diver and the, the first screener guard. Whenever they got stuck last year in Adoka, they went to that every single time. It just gave them motion. It gave them movement. It gave them a different flow. Again, they don't run that at all this year. They go straight back to the stuff that they run near the top of the key, which is like intricate three-man screen action with the ball handler getting a screen, the screener move, becoming the shooter, moving towards the top of the key. You know, it's that tight space kind of action that they run. And it's just fascinating to me that, that they've kind of done away with what was their go-to last year when they got stuck. It was that was, was that YW. I can still hear in my head, you look at, why double, why double, why double, why double, you know? And it's just not there this year. 
And I, and Dress is a great point. What do they go to now? I, I, I don't see it. And, and I think I think they're putting themselves in the corner where it's hard to come up with adjustments, and which Wes pointed out exactly why that's the case. Yeah, they they just to me they have a very like kind of idiosyncratic sort of style they play with. Well, I really say on both sides of the court, where you know they've they've won with their talent all year long. You know they're obviously still a great team. They're you know I, they're actually still my pick to to win. Yeah, I would say at least certainly come out of the East, but really to, to win the whole thing. But um, something that kind of you know, like you said, the biggest thing in a playoff series is the ability to make adjustments. You know, if you run this one kind of idiosyncratic style, and I think Milwaukee, <laughs> Milwaukee kind of did the same thing under Bud uh, the past few years. They kind of run this very inflexible style where they, you know, they're very much um, true to who they are. And, um, you know, that's great, but sometimes you need to have that counter you need to have that that sort of uh yeah what 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 goes what do you do when everything goes wrong like you need something but, to rely is, on isn't it isn't it the same dynamic we saw in the hawks when they ran up against the Cavs in the in the eastern conference finals a million years ago where it was like the, the pick yeah. and roll there, right there's and a there's they, a common they, thread they, they, there they right didn't have, they didn't have anything to kind of break out of that uh you know, meritocracy kind of based kind of offense where like, okay, that's not working for us or they, they're covering that. <laughs> what do we go to now? Celtics are in a little bit of the same spot. And, you know, well, I know we want to talk Lakers Warriors, but the last aspect of that is I think Tatum went the whole first half without scoring yesterday. Something like if that. I remember correctly, right? Yeah, he was over his first. And, and that office they run, one thing that means is they're not going to run something specifically for Tatum to get him a scoring rhythm. They're not going to break out of that system that they run for that. And I, I felt like that cost them in that game that they don't have like at least an ATO, something that you're going to kind of do to kind of get. And the first two possessions of the second half were kind of a little bit to steer yeah. towards him, mm-hmm. but not, but, but those, but those Sixers could have forced the ball out of his hands in, in, in that sense. So, you know, I want to call those plays out, but it, it's an interesting kind of philosophical approach. To see how that's going to go, you know, versus what what the Sixers do. Um, yeah, Ke- Kevin, my main observation on Warriors Lakers is that I thought the Warriors would win this in like five or six games. I didn't think the Lakers could cover all the perimeter action. I, I am so impressed with how committed they are to the efforts, uh, and 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 like. I'm impressed Darvin Ham is just not playing D'Angelo Russell because he, he's one of the guys that can't can't do it, won't do it, whatever. But the th- the thing, like when I finished watching the game tonight, I was like, okay, early in the series, AD was on Looney. AD was dropped, right? Looney would just float up and run DHO up there, and the and the guard chasing the shooter into the DHO had no help because AD is basically under the rim. Now we have AD on Peyton in some cases tonight, Wiggins in cases, other cases tonight, and the Warriors are attacking the heck out of the paint, right? Okay, we're getting Looney on the perimeter going at the paint. I don't know, like, during this Warriors run, if I've ever seen an opponent force the Warriors to have to be the team that's making the adjustment and making the adjustment and making the adjustment and making the adjustment. I don't think we've ever, I don't know that we've ever seen that. And that is, like, so impressive to me that, the, the Lakers are kind of setting the um, 
the baseline for how this is going to go. And the Warriors are trying to kind of react to that. And they, they, they look like they're a little bit on their heels, you know, in, in that sense. But I, it's, it's just such an impressive and interesting thing to watch that the laser Lakers are kind of dictating the series at this point. Yeah. I, I, I think you're absolutely right. I, you know, Davis, Davis has a, an immeasurable impact. And, you know, when he's doing stuff like guarding Wiggins that, that really sort of is geared towards getting the Warriors out of what they want to do. That's not a, a comfort level for them playing, playing through Wiggins, counting on him to do stuff away from the rim. Like it's just, it doesn't look good for them on offense. Clay doesn't look particularly great. And so now, and, and I don't think they trust pool in a lot of circumstances, especially defensively. So it's, it's tough. I mean, it's just LeBron and AD are just so much to deal with just defensively and, 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 and physically in terms of, you know, what you've got to deal with to cover up at the rim you know, the Warriors just have this constant tug and flow between, you know, can how do you get enough offense on the floor, but also have enough guys on the floor to to deal with LeBron and AD? They had they had LeBron and AD uh, out there together, uh, you know, in, in in sort of the you know between quarters kind of bench lineups, and yeah. you know it was Looney out there. Okay, so that that's one guy you can count on to guard LeBron or AD. And then it was like four smalls. It's like, do you, are you really going to count on Moody to to deal with LeBron? Like they went right at him. And they honestly, I didn't think they went at him enough. Like that that's just not not enough to 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 deal with. And and you know the I just don't know that the Warriors have a lineup that that they can go to where they're going to get enough offense, but at the same time have enough defense to cover up against LeBron and AD at the same time, those, those lineups are, are, are going to get to them. Yeah. I wonder if they turn to Anthony Lamb at some point. I, he, he impressed me this year. I don't know if he can handle this. I, I'm not predicting like, Oh, he's a solution, right. but he, he works hard. He's fundamental. He's sound. And he, he understands what they're doing on offense. Wes, um, at this point, I don't know if they want, really want to, but the Warriors are straight switching Steph onto LeBron now. Does that, does yeah, that surprise, no, no. Does that surprise you? Um, I don't think so because LeBron hasn't, I think normally, I think if this were LeBron of a few years ago, he would, you know, obviously take a smaller man down to the post and, you know, do his thing. He's still a great, great at the, you know, post, post turnaround fadeaways and all this other stuff. But LeBron just, just to me, especially tonight, but even this, the series, the season, even, you know, he, he likes to hang out more towards the top of the key. He, he, you know, he still likes to to put up threes. The only time he 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 likes to get downhill, um, I think more than in in past seasons, he's been has been in transition, and so I think the Warriors thought, okay, we're gonna we're gonna be able to soft switch Steph out on LeBron, and we don't think LeBron's gonna attack Le- Steph that way. He's not gonna try to um, take him to the post. He's not gonna try to you know, run him through a screen or anything like that. LeBron was, to me, felt like he was more just facilitating at the top of the key, trying to trying to find Davis in the first half, and then uh, Breeze and and Lonnie and and even Shooter kind of came alive with a lot a lot of him initiating, but but those guys circling around him. So um, honestly, I I would say I you know I think it was the right strategy with the Warriors going so small. You stick, you stick Steph on LeBron, 
You don't think LeBron's going to attack him. Um, Draymond on, on Davis, and then you can have your your small guys defend everyone else. So, um, I mean, I did think it was interesting. They they only gave Looney, I think it was eleven minutes. I saw, you know, they kind of they kind of just that. Um, I think someone like AD is just too much for him, and that that was probably the rationale. Oh, yeah. Like, um, but. They need Looney. I, I, like you said, like they just don't have the size. They just don't have any other really big men they they trust beyond Draymond. If they don't have Looney, and you know, if you do that against the Lakers, they do get pounded on the boards. And um, kind of saw that a lot. And tonight. Davis was really night really good for them down low with just Draymond down there. So, um, you know, if you're not going to get the elite, the elite shooting from both Steph and Clay. Um, I don't. You don't really want to get into a slog fest with these Lakers because that's that's more their style. Yep. You know, the Warriors would like to to you know dice them up with with all this motion and action, but um, I think the Lakers like the feel and the pace of the series so far. Yeah, agreed. And then Dennis did great work chasing stuff over screens tonight, working his tail yeah. off. Got yeah, this this has been crazy. great defensively. Yeah. This whole series been fun. Uh, out of the series, Knicks are done. The Knicks are bad. They're done. I have no faith in Julius Randle. Yes. No, no, nice and familiar to Hawks fans, no secondary playmaking, no secondary scoring. They force the ball out of Brunson's hands, and it's over. So yeah, I don't know. I don't have much insightful to say on that. <laughs> That's fair. That's very fair. All right. Well, we'll have to do this again soon. And uh, yeah. let's, say, let's say goodnight to Bob. Good night, Bob. Good night, Bob.